Hi, my name is Nancy Lynn, and um, last November my mom and I had to go to the emergency room um, because I woke up in the middle of the night with a very sharp pain in my back, and it ended up being a kidney stone that had gotten stuck in my kidney, and I had to have emergency surgery. By the time that we had been discharged from the hospital, just the hospital stay alone was $53,000, not including you know the x-rays, the CAT scans, the medicines that they had given me. Um, we'd already been working with a financial person with the hospital, trying to figure out our payment plan, and all these other bills started coming in, and we just were getting so overwhelmed. I immediately just broke down and was crying, and was like, we're never going to be able to afford anything. Like, how are we supposed to get a house? It was just so overwhelming, you know, to see, like, big picture what the, how this was going to impact our lives. I just had to sit down, and my mom just looked at me, and she's like, you just need to stop. Like, what do you tell me all the time? You know, like, you read in the Bible, you just got to you know, lay all of your worries and your burdens at his feet. And that's what I did. And I immediately felt this huge relief. And I was like, okay, you know, this is happening for a reason. I'm going to be okay. You know, he's going to help me through this no matter, you know, the reason that we're having to face this. You know, I was talking to my husband and I wanted him to do the same. And it took him a couple more days. But when he finally, like, just had his breaking down moment where it's like, it's going to be okay, you know, let's just give it up to God and he'll handle the rest you know he'll be able to guide us and you know we'll figure this out the very next day I had gotten the mail and I came back upstairs and opened it and it was from the hospital and it just stated that our bill was paid for and it was zero this must be a typo you know like (laughs) there's a couple more zeros that have to go over this so we got in the car really quick ran down to the hospital and we met up with our financial helper and talked to her about we were overwhelmed and she said it was natural and you know we told her you know like okay we just we gave it up to God, everything will be fine. And, and she submitted us for this financial aid from the hospital, and they approved it 100%. They only do it once a year, and they covered our our whole hospital bill, everything. Like, we had put money down, and they gave it back. All of the extra bills, like the CAT scans and the doctor visits and everything, it was all paid for by the hospital. We didn't have to pay a cent. Truly, it was just like a bump in the head, like, okay, once you humble yourself, you know, I can handle everything. Like, I will help you. I will guide you through all this stuff. Like, you're going to be okay from where I was looking at it was just such a harmful thing to have happen and he he doesn't want to do that he wanted to just have us come before him and be completely humbled and that's what we did and then everything turned out perfectly well I'll tell you what there are no shortage of those kind of stories floating around the compass church when you hear stuff like that you can think wow how amazing is it that God chooses to act in those ways to help those who love him and whom he loves and the truth is, he just does this stuff all the time. And that stuff's nothing for God, even though it's so powerful for us in seeing him work. Well, I want to I welcome you tonight to uh, God Is, the sermon series. I also want to give a very special shout out to my peeps at 95th. Peeps there, good to see you. Hope you're all doing well. In fact, tonight, today is the first time that Brett's going to be standing by. Pastor Brett, right now, actually has his Bible He's got all the study notes I emailed him last night. He's ready to go. So in case something goes down, there's a glitch, he's ready to preach, jump in without skipping a beat, and I'm excited about that. So let's get this thing going. We're going to go right through Romans chapter... Hey, I'm sorry, Brett. I had to do it to you, man. Oh, I, I've been wanting to do that for so long. How some folks are like, what's going on up here? Oh, man. Okay. I love you guys. It's going to be a good one. Whew. All right. But seriously, we have some good stuff to do tonight because we're going to be working through the next uh, set of our sermon series, God Is. We've been exploring the book of Romans to learn a little bit about who God says that he is so that we can get the picture that he wants to give of himself. 
Now, for those of you who haven't been here throughout that time, I want to give you some pieces so you can start putting this together. And if you have been here and kind of some of that has you know, evaded your mind so far, I want to bring it back up so we do a brief recap. In the first week, we talked about how God is good. God created everything, and so because he created everything and is perfect, is righteous, is good, everything that he's done is therefore then good news. So we learned that God is good. Now, the second week, we walked into the next part of what we learn about God in Romans, and that is that God is just. Now, what that means is that because God is perfect and he's good, and we all know that the world is not perfect and good, God, in being good, has to deal with that badness. That's called justice. So our God is a just God. We look at places like Romans chapter 3, 10, that tells us that no one is righteous. No one is really, truly good. No, not one. We looked at places like Romans chapter 3, which told us that all of the things that all the people have done in this world are sin. And in fact, nobody is without sin. We all have fallen short of God's perfect standard. So God is good, and God is just. And if we were to stop right there, actually, that's, that's pretty scary. Because if God is good, and he's just, and we're down here, we're not good, well, then we've got, we've got some issues when, when justice comes. Luckily, we got to learn last week that God is also gracious. God has grace. That's infinite love. That means that he looks down to us and he provides not only justice, but injustice, perfect grace to overwhelm and cover all, all of our sins. Now, I could just stop there and we could say, okay, so we were, we were in a big mess here, but God provided grace. So, I mean, it's great now, right? Yeah. Anybody here kind of been, been through that, looked at and see, wow, the world was not so great. God provided grace. So we're all set. I could just pray and close and we're done, right? Because everybody's life is perfect, Right? No, I mean, life should be perfect if that's what we look at. But there, there still is a problem. There's a pretty big, big looming problem. And that problem, Paul is going to deal with in his letter to the Romans starting tonight. We're going to be in Romans chapter 6. If you want to grab your Bibles and open up to there, it's about page 869. We're reading through some of those passages. Let me, let me start like, by saying it like this. Um, many of you know that uh, when I was about 19 years old, I joined the Marines. And when I had first arrived at boot camp, uh, we, had, we got to meet all the drill instructors. It was a good little meet and greet kind of thing going on. And uh, they, they yelled at us and screamed, told us to get online, and just immediately got us obeying their every command any time of day or night. That, that, that's how we operated. That, that's how this drill instructor and all of them were supposed to operate. Well, I remember one day later on during boot camp uh, where literally one of the hardest physical days of my entire life. I mean, they, they beat us crazy. The whole day long was so just, uh, I mean, it's so exhausting. Our bodies could barely take. We had to sprint from one place to the next all day long. We did a bayonet course where we had to put on all of our gear, the heaviest of the gear we had, and crawl, holding holding the rifle uh, for hundreds of yards and get up and sprint and go jump and do kind of these boxing drills with guys. And we had to do over and over, covered in dust, covered in mud that was created by our own sweat on the hot sand. It was just a ridiculously long, difficult day. And we couldn't wait to get back to the barracks, kind of shower up, and just be done with all of the dirtiness in a day. Well, the drill instructor marches us back to the barracks, and he commanded us all to get in, in one single file line. And he turned on all the shower heads in, in the shower area. We all stripped down and ran through. No, no soap, okay? Uh, there was no other way to clean out. They didn't even give us towels. They just said, run through, get clean, put on new uniform. And man, that's exactly what we did. We ran through. We're like trying to get all the dust out of our hair and stuff. And while it's, it's not that satisfying, right? It wasn't 100% satisfaction because we couldn't get quite as all, all that dirt off like we'd want. It was so, so great to finally have all that washed off of us. I mean, at the end of that, at the end of that day, you could see just the tons of sand and dirt and mud still on the floor in the shower where the guys were running through. It just all landed there. 
And see, in a similar way, God washes all of that off of us, and that's grace. But what happened next was really, really unique, and I'll never forget it. We just put on new uniforms. We're fresh and kind of, oh, it feels so great to be in that stuff, even though we're exhausted, we're clean now. The drill instructor marched us back out to the sandy field, just out of the shower, no, no more than three minutes. All lined, lined up, all 80 of us, and made us do push-ups and jumping jacks and sit-ups and then make sugar cookies where we'd flop from our stomach to our back over and over like this and picking up dirt and throwing it in the air. I mean, all of us, we couldn't understand what was going on. And what happened is that after we got out of this clean, sterile type of environment, we were put immediately back into that dust. You know, it wasn't until a few years later that I realized that in my life, that's almost exactly what I've done many times with God and sin. So often we go to God and we get grace that just washes us clean, but then we return right back to that sandy, dusty pile, don't we? That does happen. It happens over and over again. And Paul deals with our issues with sin in the passages we're going to read tonight. And I want to share some of those with you today. Uh, so go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 6. I'll start in verse 1 and 2. Paul is talking to a group of people who are trying to figure out how to deal with sin. And he sees that there are two major errors that people have when they deal with it. One is that they make too little of sin. And others that they make too much of it. Too little or too much. And so starting in verses 1 and 2 in chapter 6, Paul is going to respond to a group of people who thought, wait a second, hold on, let me get this right. So God washes all of our sin away, and that grace is good. So, and we can keep coming back, and we'll keep getting washed. So why don't we just go on sinning? And this is what Paul says, starting in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more kindness and forgiveness? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we became Christians and were baptized to become one with Jesus Christ, we died with him? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. And here's what he's saying. For those who think that, hey, God's grace is infinite, so we can just keep doing all the bad we want and it's no big deal. Paul, Paul answers them and says, no, 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 that's, that's not quite how it's supposed to work. A couple months ago, um, Laura and I, my wife and I, we, we got a minivan. We entered the minivan club. Any min- minivan club people here? Oh, come on, no weak elbows, all the way up. All the men are kind of like, eh, I have one. Who, who decided that minivans aren't manly anyway? I'm still trying to hunt this guy down. Because somebody, start, oh, so, somebody started this rumor that they're not manly. My father drove two minivans. That guy's manlier than John Wayne. He makes Chuck Norris look like a Spice Girl. I, 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 I think that the minivans are manly. So we, we got a manly van, and... Um, as we were purchasing and making sure it was all squared away, ready to go, uh, we realized that driving off the lot, we wouldn't have insurance unless we squared it away with our insurance agent. So I called up the insurance agent while we were right there, still getting ready to buy the car, and uh, he, he transferred over our insurance to the new vehicle. Okay? So we get in, in this van. It's, 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 it's a used van, but it's new to us. We feel like it's great. Driving off the lot, man, I, I'm, I'm serious. I'm looking left and right. I'm, I'm driving. I'm the perfect driver, okay? Some of you wouldn't agree with that. But I, I mean, literally going, going the speed limit, like being very careful, stopping fully at a stop sign, enough, you know, to kind of just wait for a minute and then go. And uh, we were really, really careful. Not anything happened to it. That weekend, we even went to go visit some friends down in Peoria, and instead of taking the, the new minivan, we actually piled all of our stuff into the older, less reliable vehicle to get us there and back, because we were just like, whoa, whoa, whoa we don't, we don't want to mess this new car up, because, you know, it's, it's so new to us. Now, it had insurance on it, right? It had it when we drove off the lot. Why is it that we didn't just go out, and if we saw, like, some rogue shopping cart that gave me a dirty look, just pound that thing? Why is it that we were so worried and nervous about what might happen to the car? We, we had insurance, right? The insurance was there. Here, here's why. 
you have insurance, not so that you can get in an accident, but in case you do. See, grace is the same way. We have grace in case we sin, not so that we can. See, all of us are going to sin, but we don't slap that in God's face and say, hey, your grace is going to be great, so we're just going to go ahead and use this. He paid our debts. It's taking that extra cash and going out and buying extra stuff for us. No, we, we, we want to we look at it in the right light. And so Paul says, that's not what we do. We don't keep going out sinning. In fact, we consider ourselves dead to that sin. Any, uh, any, any Bears fans? Any Bears fans here? Real Bears fans? Okay, cool, good. Um, any Packers fans? Oh, man. I told you you were sinners. I didn't I just say a second ago? All right, all right, all right. In all fairness, Jesus died for Packers fans too. Took me a long time to get there. And the last thing I want to do is offend you, but it's still on the list. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. Packer, Packer fans, Bears fans, you know the way that this works. Uh, whenever somebody is not up to snuff, they can't quite hack it on a team, even like, like the Bears coach, right? Lovey Smith has been the coach for many years, uh, done lots of good things with the team. We've seen some really good things, some not so good things. He's no longer our coach. Why? Because of his performance review. He didn't quite make it to the standard that the management team wanted for him to have reached, and so he's out. He's gone. He's cut. In, in work, in business, you find this to be true too, right? If you can't perform up to a certain level, eventually you're, you're going to get cut. You're going to go. The trouble is people take this from practical living and they try to place this onto the life, of, like, life with Christ, life following God in their spiritual life. And they begin to believe that it is possible that if sin really is a big deal, like Paul is saying that it is, and we're not just supposed to waste grace like that and just be foolish. We're, we're supposed to be careful about how we live. Well then, what's it going to take for me to get cut? In, in other words, what could I possibly do to make God give up on me? See, that question is really important. It's so important, in fact, that I, I think that what Paul writes through the next couple of chapters of Romans is really profound for us tonight. And I want to pull out three main points this evening that I hope will impact you in, in, in that regard. In the question, what would it take for God to give up on me? And I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are like, oh, I know the answer to this one. Nothing. He won't give up on me. This is no big problem. You know what? The truth is, many of us, even though we would never say that out loud, we live like it's true. We live like it is. We do. So these, these three things is what we want to kind of go through tonight. I'm going to start with the first point like this. God has chosen us. God has chosen us despite our faults. God has chosen us despite our faults. Let me illustrate it this way. Anybody been a lifeguard before? Been a lifeguard? 95th? Hobson, anybody here? Okay. Uh, a lot of people like, know lifeguards. Maybe have been one a long time ago. I don't want me to call them out right now, but I'll tell you right now. Uh, my wife had been a lifeguard for many years, all through high school years, and even into college to kind of get some extra cash while she was at the time. Um, and and I, I can tell you a little bit about how lifeguards tend to operate. And so just imagine with me for a second that a lifeguard is up on that little throne that they sit on, you know, over the water. And there's a pool down there, there's a bunch of kids in there, and, and one gets a little too deep in the deep end, you know, where the toes can't quite reach anymore, and he goes all the way in, and he starts flailing around and splashing, and it's no kidding, he's drowning, okay? Kids, kids drowning, screaming for help and stuff. Um, a lifeguard doesn't get up and go, oh, wait, that's that little twerp who knocked the popsicle out of that kid's hand. I saw that same little kid throw sand in that girl's hair like five minutes ago. Serves him right to drown down there. In fact, that's the same kid who I've been telling for the last three days to stop running on the pool deck, and he disobeys, and he's down there. Huh? Good luck. <laughs> you know that's not the way it goes. 
A lifeguard gets up, jumps in, and goes and saves the kid. You want to know why? Because that's what lifeguards do. It's not based upon the merit of the child. It's not based upon the performance of the individual. And God looks at us in the same way. He doesn't look down and go, I'd love to say, oh, wow, that's a really bad person. I'm not sure I'm going to go do that. I remember, I remember what that person did. See, that's not the way it operates. That's not the way that it works with God. God chooses us despite all of our faults, despite all of our sins, which we all have. He doesn't look down and judge us like that before he enters into save. He saves us because his love is overwhelming and is great. And an important point to make on this is it's not just your past faults. It is your past, your present, and your future faults. That means that God loves you today in spite of all the foolish mistakes you'll make tomorrow. Think with me for a second to the greatest moment in your your life with God, your greatest spiritual moment, the best day. Maybe it was the day you became saved. You first realized that all this was true and you gave your life to Christ. Maybe that was the day. Maybe it was actually a lot after that when you realized what happened back at that day and that's when it was really powerful for you. Maybe it was the day that God showed up in a crisis like we heard Nancy Lynn's story a little bit ago. Maybe it was like that, okay? And God did something extraordinary and you just tears in your eyes and you knew that he loved you. Did you know that on that day, when you felt the love of God the most, he saw all of the terrible, wicked, evil sins you will ever commit for the rest of your life. And he chose to love you anyway. Past your present and your future faults, God chooses us in spite of those things. Second point is this. We are no longer under the authority of sin. So go ahead and open up to 611 now. I'm going to continue reading on the passage that Paul is writing, uh, 6 verses 11 through 14. I'll read these out loud to you. So you should consider yourselves dead to sin and able to live for the glory of God through Jesus Christ. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to its lustful desires. Do not let any part of your body become a tool of wickedness to be used for sinning. Instead, give yourselves completely to God since you have been given a new life. And use your whole body as a tool to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you are no longer subject to the law which enslaves you to sin. Instead, you are free by God's grace. I told you before that I had been in the Marine Corps, right? That means that at that time I was, I was bound to the law of the United States Marines, at the UCMJ, the Uniformed Code of Military Justice. It states that at any given time for 20, 24-7, while I am under contract with the Marine Corps, that somebody of higher authority, higher rank, can come in and tell me what to do. This means, quite literally, that like a gunnery sergeant could kick in my door in the middle of the night in a barracks and say, get up, you're going, and do some crazy stuff. We could could go all over the other side of the world. He could have me do all kinds of working parties, all kinds of things at any moment. You know, about a year ago, a year ago, I was hanging out with with my family out in San Diego. Uh, My sister is married to a Marine. He's an officer. I was a sergeant, so an off, a sergeant officer is quite a, quite a spread, so I have to look up to him as an officer, as a Marine, and so um, he really has command over me. In fact, the Uniform Code of Military Justice says that I have to be obedient to him, and I'm not even really allowed to hang out with him. It's considered fraternization. But yet, hung out with him that entire week long while we were there. We did, we, we kinda, you know, we did barbecue grill together. He, uh, he brought up some of his other friends over, his other officer friends over. We hung out. We spent the whole time together. Why was it okay for me to do that without obeying any of those rules? The reason is because five years ago, I received an honorable discharge. I'm no longer actively serving in the Marines. 
What that means is that I am no longer under the authority of the Marine Corps. I no longer operate like I'm under their authority. In fact, a sergeant or a gunnery sergeant or a general could come up and tell me what to do, and I don't have to obey it. Why? Because I have an honorable discharge. I am no longer under that authority. You see, you and I, when we lived in this world as sinners, before we gave our lives to Christ, for those of you that have, you know that you lived under the authority of sin. Sin controlled your life. That's how it worked. But if you have given your life to Christ, you are now healed from that. You no longer have to live under the authority of sin. You're not living under Christ's authority. It's in the same way. I have a beautiful little daughter, Bethany. I love talking about her. She's two. You know what that means? Two. And she, uh, she loves reading books, like one of her favorite things to do. And one of her favorite books is The Very Hungry Caterpillar. You ever seen this book? It's, uh, we have the board book version, which is like the really thick cardboard, so it's a lot harder to, for the kids to destroy. And it's got holes in it, uh, kind of drilled in it, for where uh, the little caterpillar was supposed to have eaten through the fruit. You know, on, on Monday, the hungry caterpillar ate through one apple. On Tuesday, two pears. Okay. Um, and, and at the end of the book, there's this climactic moment where this little tiny caterpillar has become this big, fat, huge caterpillar, and it builds this cocoon. You guys see where this is going? And uh, it says, one week went by, and dot, 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 final page. He was a beautiful butterfly. Okay. It's interesting to try to explain this to my little two-year-old daughter. That's the same, th- same, same life, right? Caterpillar, cocoon, became a butterfly. See, that caterpillar that now has become a butterfly through that cocoon will never have to go back to that cocoon. That that butterfly that will fly around will never have to inch its way across a table ever again. That butterfly will fly from point A to point B forevermore. You see, in the Christian life, we are dead to sin. If you have given your life to Christ, you're dead to it. The, The law, sin, does not hold any power over you legitimately. If you were to think so, you'd just be acting like a caterpillar when you're actually a butterfly. We are a new life. We are are renewed because of what Christ has done in us. Isn't that powerful? It's powerful and it's true. And that's the number two thing. Number three, God is faithful even when we are not. God is faithful even when we are not. (laughs) Little Bethany, right, two years old. Um, She is also... Uh, those d- opinions that she'd been developing have turned into full-fledged, I'm going to go do it. And, and she just has a mind of her own. This, is, this little kid's incredible. I love, I love her to death, but she has got her own plan for everything. And uh, not only is she going through that whole thing at this time, she's also going through the potty training thing. You guys, anybody remember the potty training phase, little kids? So if we got that little Elmo potty that sits on top of the adult potty, it's, so, it's, it's kind of cute and you know, disgusting in the same moment. <laughs> And she is, she's just a little doll. She, she really wants to do that. But, um, you know, she, she's not really quite there all, all the way yet. She's not totally sold on the idea, even though chocolate helps. Um, and so she, one day, it was probably about two weeks ago, she, you know, she had a little poopy diaper. And I was like, man, it's my turn. I, I had to take care of it. So I brought her into the other room, put her down on the changing table. And I was like, all right, bops. I call her little bops. I was like, all right, little bops. Long story. I won't get into it. Um, we had to make a deal. All right? Daddy-daughter deal. Okay? Yes, daddy. Okay. No more pooping in the diaper. Deal? She's like, yes, Daddy. I'm like, no, no, let me really explain this. Walk this through with you. Okay, if you need to go poopy, new Sanford rule, no pooping out of anywhere except for in the potty. That, that's the new rule, all right? Disobedience to do anything else. You, you understand? Yes, Daddy. So where are you going to go poopy? In the potty. And M&M's. She gets M&M's if she goes. So yes, of course. Okay, very good. That's right. And, and she, she's, she's sold on this idea. 
right? She's in. Um, so I clean her up, drop her on the floor. She waddles off. Uh, no more than two hours later, I'm sitting on the couch, and I'm reading her one of her little books, Little Hungry Caterpillar. She climbs in my lap, and uh, just minding my own business, and all of a sudden, it's like somebody slapped me in the face with a dead fish. <laughs> you, know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you've ever had kids or been around babies, like, what? This is the cutest little thing a second ago. Um, so I did the daddy little sneak peek. Oh, yeah. I thought we had just been through this. That little chicken laid an egg. And, and, and now, now I, just, I just went through this. She said she understood that she wasn't supposed to go in her diaper, but she did anyway. And I had specifically told her to not, and she disobeyed. Little sinner, little reprobate kid is what that is. <laughs> but it doesn't stop there. Because I told her not to draw on the, on the, the table, the, the coffee table with her crayons, and she did it anyway. I told her to eat her peas, and she didn't eat her peas. They went somewhere else, but not in her mouth. For, okay, first time ever I've had this happen was just a, was the week before this last one. She bit me on the chin. We were just sitting there. She just bit me. She knew it was wrong, and she did it anyway. Now, here's, here's, the, here's the big idea in this, okay? If my little daughter wants to be a less-than-perfect daughter, does that give me the right to be an unfaithful daddy? No. Does it make her less of my daughter when she disobeys me? No. You see, God is a faithful, wonderful, loving daddy. And he loves us so much that when he looks down on us and sees us sin and sees some, sometimes we bite him. Sometimes we do foolish things that are angry and aggressive towards him. And other times, you know, it's the poopy and the diaper thing. We're just not mature enough yet. He just needs to work, work it through with us. It's not sin in itself, maybe. It's just he needs to kind of grow us up. We're little. We need to learn. And he's going he's gonna to work with us and take care of us. God is a perfect, faithful, loving daddy. I'll tell you what. I love my daughter. Oh, I can't do it without crying. I love her. I love her, love her, love her. I love her so much it would be a joy for me to die for her. God loves us like that. God loves us just like that. So much in the fact that he sent his son to die here. In fact, there is no perfect person in this world except for one. And that one perfect person in this world, God chose to not save in order to save everybody else. You see, Jesus died so that you don't have to. That's how much God loves you. God loves you like a perfect, faithful, loving father. I want to jump back real quick to Romans chapter 3. It sums it up so beautifully. Romans chapter 3, verses 3 through 4. It, it, Paul's kind of doing the question and answer thing, and he says, if, if I'm unfaithful, does that nullify, does that change God's faithfulness? And the answer is a resounding with exclamation point, no! No! God is not faithful because you're faithful to him. He's faithful in spite of how you are with him. All of your faults, all of your sins, he chooses to love you completely anyway. That's just the God that we have. That's our loving Father. And he doesn't change based upon what we do or we don't do. You see what a gift that is? See what a gift it is to have a father who loves us so much that he's going to remain faithful to us no, no matter what, no matter what we do? But yet we struggle with this. I've seen people struggle with this in, in the church so many times. And to be honest, it's so frustrating to watch the enemy get his work into the church. Somehow, I don't know how it's worked out, but somebody has told people that Christians are the ones who sin the least. Somehow this word has gotten out. And let me put that to death right now. Christians are not the ones who sin the least. We're the ones who repent the most. We're the ones who realize that we are a sinner and that we need Jesus. 
We're the ones who turn to God and say, God, I am a sinner, I am a fool, I am fallen, I am broken. And we don't try to wear the mask in front of everybody else. And I wish I could say that as an inclusive statement because the truth is we're not good at that. We wear it all the time and we try to act perfect. In fact, I've known so many Christians, wonderful, awesome Christian leaders who have so much potential in the evangelistic realm, talking to their families and their brothers and sisters about about Jesus and, and to their neighbors. And they could do this, but they don't. You want to know why? Number one reason that people won't evangelize or witness to other people, tell them about Jesus, you want to know the number one reason? Fear. Okay, but do you know where that fear comes from? Two things. Lack of knowledge, they're afraid they don't know enough, or they're afraid they're not good enough. This is why Christians don't tell other people about Jesus, because they don't feel like they're good enough. But what, what's the gospel message? Is it that you're good enough, you're so good, in fact, that God looked down and go, oh my goodness, look at that perfect kid. Look at how wonderful that person is. I have to, I have to reach down and ask him to be on my team, because that person is so wonderful. You guys know that's not how it worked. He saw us as a mess, that flailing little twerp who was knocking down kids and throwing sand in girls' hair and now drowning, and he came down and saved and rescued us. That's what we get to share with people. We're not the enlightened ones who figured it out because we just had a whole ton of knowledge. I've heard it once said that we're not, we're not these exceptional knowledge bringers, but we're, we're just one beggar trying to tell another beggar where to find bread. That's who we get to be. And I know so many people who, because of sin, because of something that's gotten in their life, that they felt like they're crippled, they're done, they're out, they're, they're done, they're finished. I have seen so many people who've been sidelined from ministry because they feel as though they're just too bad. They can't, they can't talk to anybody else about Jesus because they're not perfect enough. I can't do that. They're going to judge me. They're going to look at me as, well, I've got to be perfect if I'm going to talk about Jesus. Look, let's, let's imagine a football game for a second, okay? And imagine that we just, we know, we know it's going to take 28 points to win the game. Let's say we know that the other team's going to score 27 points and we need 28 all right? So that means that we need to make up a plan at perfect, perfect scale, just like this, where we're going to do uh, two and a half yards every play, all right? Two and a half yards every play so we can get the first downs. And from there, we're going to score exactly seven points every, every quarter, right? We're going to do seven points every quarter, and it's going to work out perfectly. Everything's going to go, is that, a fo- is that how football works? You guys ever watched a game, even, even the best games? Guys, sometimes, sometimes you've got to punt and turn it over to the defense for a little bit. And, and sometimes, sometimes you've got to, you got, you got to throw up for Hail Mary and see what happens. Sometimes you throw an interception. And I've known people in their lives in their Christian walk who have thrown an interception. What I mean by that is they've sinned. They've done something big. They, they, they've gone back to that same dust pile they left. They went back to it again. And it's like throwing an interception. And the team runs against them and scores a touchdown on the other side. And they're so broken and so fallen from that sin that had happened that they just they leave the game. And I'm so sick of Satan doing this. I'm so sick of looking out at Christians who say, man, I can't do anything. And the reason is because, man, I'm just too sinful. I'm too sinful to go do things. What? That's not the gospel. See, God doesn't look down at you and say how faithful you are, so he's going to be faithful in return. There's no deal in exchange like that. He says, get back in the game. Quit pining over the sack on fourth and one. Get up and move forward again. Far too many Christians retreat off the battlefield. We don't retreat. Christians don't retreat. We may fall back. We may regroup, but we go again. And we got Jesus leading, the victorious risen Savior. I have to say this to my brothers and sisters, those of you in Christ, those of you who love God, giving your life to him. If you feel like, man, I've just kind of been out of this a little bit because, you know, just some things have gone down in my life and I just, I'm not sure that I can ever, you know, tell people about Jesus. I'm just not good enough. I don't pray enough. I don't read the Bible often enough or some of the sin issues that I'm struggling with, I still can't overcome. I'm still struggling with them. So there's no way that I can ever do good things for God. That's a lie. That's a lie. 
I once read a t-shirt once when I was a kid. I've never forgotten it since. It said, the next time the devil reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. Man, we don't sit down. We don't wait like that. We know that God's telling us to go forward. Sin has consequences. Yes, it does. But I'll tell you what. God's never going to look down and be like, well, you're never going to be able to do anything for me again. You might as well sit this one out until I return. If you ever hear a voice like that, that is not your Savior. Let me talk for a quick moment to those of you who, who are kind of exploring this. You're, you wouldn't say you're a Christian. You wouldn't say you're following Christ. You're not, not giving your life to God. You know what? I, I know I know that there are many of you who have not given your life to God, and the reason is not because of belief. You believe in God. You, you believe that God exists. In fact, you very likely may even believe that Jesus really did die for the sins of the world. But for some reason, you think that you're too bad for God to love you. And that is not true. You cannot out the cross. There's nothing that you can do that makes God look down and go, oh, yeah, I can't save that person. Paul, the apostle, same guy who wrote the book of Romans, says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, he tells his young protege, he goes, listen, Christ came to save sinners of whom I am the worst. The guy who claims to be the worst sinner in the world, who made his life out to be hunting down and murdering Christians, says that statement, that yet God has loved them and chosen him and saved him in the same way that he would do for you. If you're wondering right now that you have to get to a point where you're good enough to be able to finally turn your life over to Christ, let me tell you right now, it's not how it works. It's not how it works at all. God wants you in your mess. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For those of you who have given your life to God, I want you to read this passage through with me in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Listen, listen to the power of God and his love and his lack of condemnation for those whom he's chosen. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus for the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you through Christ Jesus from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses could not save us because of our sinful nature, but God put into effect a different plan to save us. He sent his own son in a human body like ours, except that ours are sinful. God destroyed sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the requirement of the law would be fully accomplished for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. This is the gospel message. God looked down and saw us in the mess. And because of his perfect faithfulness to us, he offered us a way. I want, I want to take a, take a few moments just, just today and just pray this prayer over the congregation, over the Compass Church, for those who know Christ and have been living oppressed by sin, feel like they cannot get back up, feel like they're failing and suffering, God is going to be working in your life for the rest of your days. Philippians 1.6 says that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. It means God's not giving up on you. You know the question we asked at the beginning, what would it take? What would it take for God to give up on me? The answer is nothing. The answer is nothing. Because his faithfulness lasts even when yours doesn't. Let's, let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for truth. I thank you so much that you love us enough that you literally found a way to heal us of our sin, to wash it away. Father, not only that, not only once, but for the rest of our days, while we are, don't have to live any longer trapped underneath sin and ultimately under control of sin, Father, we, we know that in our sinful lives, in our bodies, as, as Paul argues through this whole chapter, God, we're, we're going to fall sometimes. We're, we're going to need your help. 
we're going to need your, your faithfulness to show true. But Lord, I pray that you would help for those here now. I pray right now over the brothers and sisters in Christ who, who love you, follow you, but don't feel like they are adequate enough to give themselves to you. Don't feel like they are worthy enough to share your truth. Father, I pray that you would abolish that as a lie, that you would just blast it out of their lives. And Father, for those who are sitting amongst us who are here exploring, they want to hear about who you are. And it felt like they may believe you. They've heard these stories. They may not have all of it figured out yet, but they want to go to you. But God, there may be some obstacle in their life, and that obstacle might just be that they don't think they're worthy. Father, show them that they are not worthy, but that Christ is worthy, and therefore they can go to him. Father, we love you. We love that truth and pray that it'll be proclaimed to the ends of this earth for the rest of time and that people would continue to come forward, come to know you, give their lives and grow. God, you are a faithful, wonderful, loving, just, gracious God. Teach us to trust you when you say that about yourself and to live accordingly. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we worship.